Wars. Episode 0031. The Rock. Air Force One. The podcast has become a tourist attraction. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Movie Wars Podcast, episode 0031. No, I'm a podcast super freak, actually, but I still need a gun. I'm Kyle. Get off my podcast. I'm Drew. How in the name of Zeus's butthole (laughs) did you get out of this podcast? I'm Phil. Amazing. Yes. Nicolas Cage in this movie is always screaming about something like this. First of all, I'm so glad that you picked that quote because you're Uh, such a Harrison Ford guy. And for you, the zeal that you've brought to this episode with The Rock. I mean, anything about the butt is on brand for. There's another one. I wrote down another one initially, and I feel like I I owe the people this because I always botch my quotes. But like, guys, it's here. Bring it to me now. Thank you, Phil. He says that right at the beginning when that that stuff comes into the lab or whatever. Yeah. Probably get to this in casting. But one thing that really bummed me out is that we lost Nicolas Cage there for a while. I mean, after he defaulted on nine mansions to the IRS, you know, he was doing the worst movies and now he's making a huge comeback pig yeah. was awesome the unbearable what is it the uh unbearable. the unbearable way to massive talent. yes he's mm-hmm. making a huge comeback and i was sad because watching this i was like nicholas cage was awesome <laughs> like, yeah. he was he was a lot of fun he was Nick so cage fun. fucks all right matchstick men the rock um the dude was awesome we don't have to get too philosophical about these movies but we yeah. are back in our sweet spot we love doing all kinds of movies but give the three of us action give us explosion give us die hard on a plane give us die hard on alcatraz and we <laughs> will rock your ears off. And really, all I want to say with my intro here is that absurd premises make great action films. You know, there's not a lot of drama films that you're like, you know, you couldn't start a drama film with the same premise as Air Force One. Some Russian journalists, after he just got done addressing Russian terrorists, they just happened to let Russian terrorists on a plane. Yep. <laughs> it's like, that's not the good start of a great drama or a drama. But I mean, they're that's Kazakh a fair point. Terror. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, they're Kazakh terrorists, though, yeah. right? Not Russian. Sorry, because, yeah, Kazakhstan, which, by the way, all filmed in Ohio. <laughs> You're right, exactly. (laughs) The director on this commentary was like, by the way, this isn't Kazakhstan, this is Ohio. Oh, that's wow. It's so funny. And he says it kind of dreadfully. He's like, this is Ohio. Tax cuts and, you know, budgets got (laughs) slashed. And he's German. Anyway, I love how absurd premises can just really, I mean, you just accept it. A great action film, for a minute, you're kind of like, really? Really? But then a good action film sells you. That's why I love the idea of these being Die Hard on a Plane, Die Hard on Alcatraz. Impressions, Drew, what did you think of these movies? Oh, man, so much fun. Just so fun. I mean, the significant difference of these two movies, I mean, they're the same same movie essentially in the in the plot except that one is very aware that it's insane which is the rock i mean nicholas cage is there almost like for the audience to be like yo we know this is crazy so, so i'm going to yell about zeus's butthole <laughs> We're going to just, like, have a good time here. It's fine. I mean, dude, like, he came home and he was, like, drinking wine and strumming his guitar and, like... It was badly. Just, like, yes, it was badly. so <laughs> insane and ridiculous. Girlfriend proposes to him. Yeah, she proposes and, like, tries to, like... Like, they're about to, like, get it on and she's he's like, sorry, babe, I gotta go. <laughs> in what world are you not just, like, it's fine. I can leave in, like, ten minutes after I get done with what we're doing on this... And anyway. if you're a guy, I don't know about you guys, but, like, I can I can turn it into 60 seconds. Like, 
Like I, I can yeah. turn, I yeah. can turn can, that switch yeah. on. You can flip that switch if need be. I can turn By it to an elevator. By far the least ride. believable part of that movie. <laughs> and there's a lot of unbelievable parts. Yeah. Of that movie. Air Force One takes itself way more serious. You know, like I just love that they're very similar. You know, you've got these these tourists, you know, trapped in a certain place. Um, I mean, it's like you said, it's Die Hard in, in two different places. What a great plot formula. Thank you, Die Hard, mm-hmm, for the mm-hmm. gift to the world. That just store like motif of storytelling and what that's become. Like what what a what a joy. The Rock was one of my favorite movies as a kid. When I was younger, that movie could come on television and I was watching it. It went that way for years. I, I have a guilty pleasure love for all things Michael Bay because I he just does the big, bombastic, over-the-top, ridiculous plot thing better than anybody. Fight me on it. I know, like, Michael Bay's a, a punching bag. Nicolas Cage is a punching bag. I really don't give a shit. They make ridiculous movies that are fun to watch. And, and Rock so is, is no Connery, exception. honestly. Because like, yeah. people are always like, oh, Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. Like there, it's just like a British bunch of like, kind of yeah. yeah. Jokes. Totally. I so, had not thought of that. That's yeah. great. Yeah, great. The Rock great. is just, it's a blast. It's one of Michael Bay's best, and it's its fun to watch from start to finish. Air Force One, no exception. Like, it, it's the containerized action plot, again, on yep. a fucking jumbo jet. And it works. In the air. Show me a more exciting containerization plot than that. That's amazing. Honestly, it's so much fun. almost an, imp- at least in concept, mm-hmm. an improvement on the Die Hard thing. I would agree. Mm-hmm. It's way more intense. You're, You're real 30,000 feet up in the air. It's the highest stakes. It's the president of the United States. His family's there with him. It's just a brilliant, brilliant concept. There's so much fun, man. And like, obviously like action movies aren't going to measure up to like your, you know, heady art house films, but good God if they're not a fucking load of fun. So I have funny associations with these movies. As you both know, I was Arnold guy, sly guy growing up. I have a really funny story about my dad. I've joked a lot about how he was a drunk cop and he was, but he used to watch Air Force One and this was really funny. He would yell at the same part every time and he was so drunk I could not really tell what he was yelling but it was the same part (laughs) I think think it's when Harrison Ford like turns the tables towards the end and he like takes the upper hand again he's like he would say that but when he would have his cop buddies over and he would have cop buddies over to watch it he would do the same thing at the same exact part every time are we talking like taped on VHS like VHS or cable taped on VHS and so he was cop buddies would come over they would get drunk same part and they would all go (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just like what the fuck so I did not love Air Force One strictly for that reason I growing up was like that is weird why do you keep doing that what are you saying you drunk asshole what I love my favorite moment of Air Force One is when he looks over and sees the milk leaking and like you could tell the camera's like trying to tell the audience oh he just had an idea and then dude was like oh I'm gonna just let the gas out of the airplane like all inspired by the milk leaking. I thought that was hilarious. It's like, yeah. oh, dude, the milk's leaking? I should let the gas out of the plane. Great that little, so good. Great little device. And I think uh, with The Rock growing up, like, I liked it. I didn't really give it a second watch. Um, and I also just, I hadn't really done, I, I just wasn't, like, there with Connery yet. Because Connery's one of those guys, when you watch him, like, his history, he's just such an icon, or was, yep. rest in peace. He's just one of those guys. You know, it's just like, oh, my God, Connery. He's just, you right. know, and so I didn't, I didn't really have the respect for it and he says in the uh in the commentary cage 
talked about how excited he was to do Bond without the restrictions of Bond. That was his yeah. goal. I want to be James Bond again. He did it much in his, in his older age, but he didn't have all the inhibitions that he had to strip with Bond. You know, the cliches, the things that Bond had to do. So he felt very free to do that in a very free way, which I love. I just loved it. I had fun. I could not wait to do this podcast because both these movies are so fun. And uh, yeah, can't wait to get started. But first, the Patreon. Do you ever walk past a light switch in your home at speed and attempt to turn it off while you're walking and miss that light switch? Well, turns out if you just fucking stop and hit it instead of continuing to walk, you turn the goddamn light switch turn off. Turn on the light switch! Light switch! Light switch! Flip that fucking light switch, you lazy asshole. What does asshole? this have to do with anything? It doesn't have to do with anything. Nothing, Drew. Shut up. Exactly. You do your own fucking Patreon. <laughs> If we actually had to do ads, that's what that shit would sound like. It would be people advertising ways to flip light switches. And uh, that was actually a situation that happened to me today. I walked past the light switch at speed, tried to flip it, didn't work. Walking too damn fast. Too damn fast. And I just thought, like, what if there was an invention? And then I immediately cut myself off and was like, you could just slow the fuck down, you idiot. And so I was like, well, that would be a great fake Patreon ad. And now I'm meta-ing myself. Yeah, so, the met- wow, thanks for that. The metadata on you is just... Your, your aura is purple. My aura is purple. Anyway, you know what you get. You get interviews. You get special features, bonus features, and you just get the feel good because you're supporting the three best damn movie podcasters on the planet. And that's all I got to say. Yep. The link will be in the episode description. Kyle, Drew, and Phil. Esquire. Not the, not the other podcast. Get off my Patreon. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Get on. Get on my Patreon. Patreon super freak, actually, but I still need a gun. <laughs> How in the name of Patreon's butthole <laughs> did you get out of your cell? <laughs> Randos. I don't think anyone will sign up from that ad, just going to say. It's all right. It's still know. a horrible fake Patreon ad. It's no, I think it was fun. Organic fun, still good. I I, I do want to kick off with this. I actually forgot to write this down, but this is one of the best randos. Your your quote, the butthole quote. Cage says in the commentary, the butt quote. The butt quote he didn't want to curse. If you notice, he only curses one I time. I did notice, and it's so benign. He like, did that on purpose. He wanted like he he actually he does an improv. He says this. He goes, "I'm not a fan of improv. I don't do it, but I do prepare a lot." And he he wanted in order to do this role, he wanted free reign to inject and change the character as much as he could, and he did a lot. One of those things is he wanted him to be kind of a a saint, weird chemistry geek. And so he didn't want him to curse. He wanted to force himself to find other ways to express himself. And he ends up coming up with some of these really funny expressions like Seuss's bustle. He, oh. call, he calls Connery an a-hole at one point. Like, yeah. And some of the funniest quotes come from him. Like, how can I do this without using profanity? So, yeah. Dude, Nick Cage is a national treasure. He is. I'm just so... <laughs> he is. Yeah. Nice. I see I'm what just, you did there. That was he's great. not just the man. He's the wicker man. He's the wicker man. <laughs> I'm just so... Man, that that weird period we went through, it was like from 2012-ish until maybe I know, it felt like he was gone for 60 We're, seconds. Dude, People he's just, got an amazing library. Con Air! We just talked about Con that Con Air. Dude, We've got to do that we movie. We need to cover Con Air. It's a blast. Steve Buscemi is at his creepiest in that movie. Yeah, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is in it. <laughs> but come on, I mean, Nick Cage, if you look at his videography or movie, whatever the fuck you call it, like, he is in Face Off! A lot oh, of amazing... Face Off Some yet. people says that, say that that's one of the best action movies of all oh, time. It's it's a lot. Of, he's in a, some Las incredible Vegas. action films. Also, this is a this is a Nick Cage challenge to everyone out there. Take some time 
peruse Nick Cage movie covers on the internet. Tell me that is not the same damn picture just copied and pasted onto each movie cover with a different hairstyle and different clothing. He has a locked in face. Was he born with a receding hairline? I, I because feel, his hairline is yeah. always receding, but it doesn't feel like it recedes beyond where it is now. Yeah, he peaks at the, the widow's peak is, is on full display. <laughs> However, <laughs> he peaks with the widow's peak. Yeah, but there's a, there's a Nick Cage thing and it's the same <laughs> stoic ass expression on every movie cover ever. So anyway. Yes. Okay, but let's just talk about this run that he went on. I love runs. You know about runs. I love that you love runs. I love it. Leaving Las Vegas, 1995. 96, The Rock. 97, Con Air. 97, Face Off. (laughs) I mean, that, I mean, that, that's a run. And then Gone in 60 seconds in 2000. There's more. I mean, the dude just rolled. When was Matchstick Men? 92? Matchstick Men would have been uh, 2003. National Treasure, 2004. National Treasure fucks, by the way. Yes, incredible. My daughter loves that. Wicker Man, 06. And then I think he got into some financial problems. Wicker Man's kind of where it starts because Wicker Man is a really bad remake. And most of my randos are actually about Cage because he does the majority of the talking on the commentary. In his, if you, I want to recommend for anybody listening to this episode, when you're done listening to us, watch it with the Cage commentary. He says some very interesting thing, and he's a Coppola. He's a Coppola. That's all I got to say. Um, if you wonder why the, the super freak quote that I used, he wanted to inject music. He wanted him to be a music guy because at the time, uh, CDs were growing in popularity still, and he talks about this on the commentary, and he hated how they skipped. And so in his personal life, he was collecting vinyl. And so that's why the very first thing you, when you meet Goodspeed, oh. he gets a Beatles. He calls himself a Beatles maniac. The super freak quote, Rick James is the super freak. And so that's why he says, I'm a chem- chemical and they super sound freak. Better. Yeah, and they sound better. And I agree with him. I'm just a bit, I'm a homer for vinyl. Yeah, because so, vinyls never skip. <laughs> yeah, never. they never. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you fart and they just, the, qual- <laughs> the quality is flawless. But anyway, Cage, so that's why he injected it all because at the time he was going through this huge crisis because he hated CDs. And so he's like, I want Goodspeed to be a music freak. Originally, Goodspeed was supposed to be more of a gung ho cowboy. So in the original script, he was not a guy that loved be- he was a chemist, but he didn't like love it. He was more along the lines of like a Bruce Willis type in Die Hard. Interesting. He was the one that said, no, he needs to love chemistry. He needs to be in the nerd. He doesn't, I don't want him to be comfortable in the field. I want him to be comfortable in the lab. And part of that is because Cage's dad was actually a very well, uh, I guess a world-renowned professor, a chemist. And so some of the quotes, like his quote about how they accidentally discovered champagne, word for word, quote from his dad. Wow. So his dad was a well-known chemist. And uh, yeah, and so he, he actually implemented a lot of his dad's stuff. Good for him, man. And Nick, I'm Nick Cage Homer over here. Big time. Yeah, I love it. I, I, love I was shit. Well, also started in Left Behind, the second. Really? Maybe. Yeah. Good lord, the IRS you know was really you after him. Good for him. Just taking on those those risky roles. So one person that Cage consulted with in making The Rock, he said this person would be considered a mentor to a real good speed. This guy would be a, a good speed in real life, a government chemist. And he said the whole inspiration for the, you referenced it earlier when he finds out she's pregnant and he goes in a whole rant about how they shouldn't be having children because of the world. He, he made that decision because he said after he talked to this guy that was a real life good speed, a government chemist, at the time they had discovered a real Russian poison that was eight ounces, but if it was dispersed First in the air, it could kill millions and millions of people. And he said, I made, he made the decision about having that really pessimistic view on children because he put himself in that guy's shoes. If you know this knowledge and you have this knowledge that people are just running around with eight ounces of a fluid that can kill millions of people, he's like, how could you live and operate in a world where you want to like make life? You know, why would you want to put life in this world? So it was based on mentorship he was receiving from a real life government good speed. I told you my favorite moment of Air Force One is the milk scene. My favorite <laughs> moment of The Rock is when Connery calls him Godspell. 
Godspell. Godspell. What do you think? Godspell. Is it Goodspeed? Yeah, Godspeed, Godspell. People talk about their best. Do you know the etymology of your name? Goodspeed comes from Godspeed. Last, Go with God. Last rando about The Rock. Uh, Ed Harris was super uncomfortable through the whole filming. Like, he told Michael Bay, like, he gave him too much dialogue. Like, the scene where he's smashing the phone when he gets mad and he's talking to the, to the I think, the, the FBI and the Congress mm -hmm. folks. That's actually him. Like, he's mad because Michael Bay keeps telling him to do the these lines that he hates because there was so much dialogue and he also always had a, a, a really big disagreement with the core of the character because he felt like at his core Ed Harris or uh, Ed Harris's character was a, a good guy and he was threatening to do this bad thing to win money but at the end of the day he was actually a good person inside so he always felt like he was painted in too negative I feel like light. he got that redemption at the end he did and I think Ed Harris pushed it that way like he never he so never... is Ed Harris like by choice a background guy like just is that he, he doesn't want to be a leading man? So, what they say is that he, this is, they think that he was one of the most, at the time, was one of the most underrated actors in the world. And I've I, said that on previous podcasts. Yes, and I agree. He's so good. He's and excellent. He, they just felt like, so they they wanted him to be out front. I just think Ed Harris is a really passionate actor, and he just disagreed with a lot of the direction. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so, one thing he did, what to make sure that he didn't get too far off base, is he hired like a Navy SEAL to help him with the rhythm of his speech and the phrases he would use. He wanted it all to be in line with what real military special ops people would say. Air Force randos. Here we go. Bill Clinton is involved in a lot of Air Force randos because, you know, he was in office. Bill Clinton gave director Wolfgang Peterson a tour of Air Force One so that he could re rebuild it realistically because he used a real-life model. So they had some CGI. Some of it was made of sets, but they also had a giant model that they built for it. One cool thing Peterson says in the commentary, the only place they weren't allowed to go was underneath the plane. And so Bill Clinton said he could not confirm or deny if there's a real escape pod. So no one actually knows if there's a real escape pod built I was into. wondering that because that was very mm -hmm. much looking like lunar lander kind of shit. You guys are going to love this. I couldn't help but imagining <laughs> Trump on the escape pod. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, this is the slowest fucking escape pod I've, I've ever been on. We're over China. I've got great friends in China. <laughs> oh my God. I have great oh my God. deals with China. They're terrific. Wonderful they love country. me. Go ahead and drop great. me. It'll be huge. Yeah. The They're amenities. about to invade Taiwan. No big deal. Mm. I miss my gold toilets. Oh, Drew, you're going to love this. It's very simple. Air Force One was not originally written for Harrison Ford. Do you know who it was? Kevin Costner. Oh, I could see that working. I could too. Wait, hold on. I think I like it. Yeah, Ford is, his shadow was huge, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It could work. Yeah, that, originally it was written for Kevin Costner and they ended up going with Ford. No, yeah, I think they made the right call because Ford was, I mean, yeah, Ford is Ford, but I think Costner could have pulled it off. Kind of a dumb rando here, but they had so much fun, apparently because Gary, uh, so Gary Oldman, one of my favorite actors, such a great criminal and he plays such a great terrorist in this, but he's so tense as an actor, but when he's not filming, he's actually very jovial and he had so much fun and him and Harrison Ford were cracking so many jokes that they referred to the set as a joke as Air Force Fun. Oh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Air Force Fun. So that was, apparently they had a good time pretending like the president was stuck on a plane with a bunch of terrorists. So. Yeah, it's real fucking funny, guys. <laughs> this is crazy. So I told you they tried to build a two, like a two-scale model of Air Force One. I don't think it was exact because it would have been huge, but to huge film in. Huge over China. They, they filmed on the largest, so at the time, this was the largest studio stage in the U.S. and maybe the world's uh, Sony Studio Stage 15 in Culver City, and it was able to fit the entire Air Force One model with ease from top tip to uh, tip to fin. <laughs> 
<laughs> from tit to tat. From tit to tat. That's how big the stage is. Tit to dick, my. I don't know if it still exists today, but at the time, it was the biggest uh, shooting stage on a studio lot in the country. Amazing. Maybe the world. Very cool. Lastly, Bill Clinton again. Uh, Peterson didn't think they would get Glenn close. They already had a very tight budget. They thought, you know, there's no way we're getting another star on here. So I guess at the time, and maybe still today, Harrison Ford and Glenn Close both lived in Wyoming, or Wyoming, <laughs> had property in Wyoming, and they both got invited to like a Wyoming-based charity event, and Bill Clinton was there, and they had they sat at his dinner table. I know, gushy, gushy, rub elbows. But in front of the president, Ford asked Close to play the VP, and she wasn't really considering it, but he was like, man, it would be awesome, and we they, they had written the part for wow. a female anyway, so it was always going to be a female VP. Very progressive in Hollywood. Yes. Which has now come to fruition. I know. Clinton pushed it over the edge, though. He's like, I would really love it for a female VP to be in this movie. Yeah, I'm I sure think he, he should would've. do it. He basically convinced Close to do it. Yeah, and then he billed her later, if you know oh. what I mean. <laughs> he stuck her with the bill. Life is way better when we're doing action movies. I know. <laughs> I love it. We're, it really is. Pod. I know. We could do that. We could pivot. Shall we take over the plane? Damn yes. Let's, let, let's, let's rock. Let's, let's rock out. welcome ourselves to the rock. Yes. Also, yes. before we get into that, Fucks the did you notice please. how many people from the show 24 <laughs> yes! were in? Dude, were John in Spencer is one of my favorite. Wait, was he was on? Wait, no, he was on the West Wing. Who are you talking about? The guy who plays the turncoat uh, secret, secret service agent, the redheaded guy that gets shot that used to play Aaron or whatever in 24. <gasps> yes. Like there were a lot of people. A lot of 20. TV stars. John Spencer yeah. was the... Uh, main guy. He was also in uh, a movie we just covered, Copland. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. But yeah, good Paul. Were... That's true. 24, 24 spits out the, the agent-y like, I know dude, we're dipping, 24. we're not dipping in a supporting cast yet, but there was a really funny, and I texted you about this, Phil, because you and I are Seinfeld fans. Philip Baker Hall who played Detective Bookman. There's an episode of Seinfeld where mm -hmm. Jerry finds out he has an overdue book from high school. Yeah. And they this hire this detective and he's real rigid, real gruff. He, Your name is Bookman? His name is He's like, he was like, what does he say? He's like, boys have to walk around with pee-pees and wee-wees drawn on the inside of the books. Not today, mister. He's real serious. That is Philip Baker Hall, and he he is in both of these movies. Really? Philip Baker Hall is both in Air Force. He's part of the cabinet. Hold that's, on. Really? Yes, look. Philip Baker Hall, this guy. He's in both of these movies, and he has lines and everything. Oh, wow. He's, Bookman is like one of the most low-key best Seinfeld side characters ever. So anyway, that's a stupid... I love IMDb. I do too. I just realized Dean Stockwell, the dude from Quantum Leap, was yes. in... Air Force One. I love. Wow. That. I loved Quantum Leap. Oh, so can we underrated. talk about how the '90s might have been the best era ever for entertainment? I think humanity peaked. At some point. Oh, I would agree. It all fell oh. off after 9-11. We've been, we've been digressing. But then we invented smartphones and it was all downhill. Oh my all God. Downhill. I know. Yeah, I just... first it was the Blackberry, then the Crackberry, then the Up Your Assberry, and now I know. here we are. <laughs> now I know how the... <laughs> here we are. Now I know how the elites felt <laughs> so when the printing press was invented and everybody could read. That's just... I understand why they were so mad. It's like, now the peasants can read too? What a bunch of shit. God, now they know all the God, secrets. Gary, I mean, uh, William we're, H. Macy. Oh. Just we're 21 years... We're 21 years removed. But I feel like 9-11 was the beginning of the end. Yeah. Like, Michael Bean was in one of the I movies. know. For oh, God wait, how did right? I not text about this? Bean is making I'm another beanhead. I love it. Terminator, Terminator 2, uh, Aliens. What is that it for him on this? Uh, yeah, and The no, Rock. Uh The Rock. There was a fourth one with Bean. We've had him on. Shall we? Shall we be? Top real cast, damn it. Shall we bean? Where's the laptop? I got used to the folding tablet. I got the iPad, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> he got it back from the shop. All right, top bill. Top. <laughs> The show. Top, top, Bill. I'm going to do, uh, let's do the top three today. This is oh, just this trust is okay. tough. This is another tough you know, cast. Top three. Because sometimes it just makes sense because people get paid amounts they 
don't necessarily. I don't yeah. envy your job in picking the cast. Just trust me on the casting and the top billing trust and the you. not top billing. You are trusted. Air Force yeah. One. You got Harrison Ford. Gary Oldman is the second paid highest paid actor. Love that man. And Glenn Close. Yeah, Sean Connery. First, Nicholas we'll... Cage. Ed Harris. Oh. Kyle, what do you think? Oh man, The Rock here. I did want to put this by you, especially you, Drew. It was hard not to think of this category as Indiana Jones slash Han Solo versus James Bond. Like it's just amazing. Think about these two. Like oh my god. Like th that's what we're dealing with. I mean, all those other folks are great, but that's what we're dealing with. They're two of the most iconic. Yes. That's huge. Well, I kept thinking, yeah. I mean, the fact that Indiana Jones, the two stars of Indiana Jones are Harrison Ford and Sean Connery, mm -hmm. but then also Han Solo and James Bond, two of the other most iconic yes. action figures in pop culture history. It's really, really, yeah. And this is anecdotal, but I'm pretty sure if you polled like every James Bond fan in the world, it would come back that Connery is the most beloved. Even though I, I like Daniel Craig personally better, Connery's probably the most beloved and probably most associated with that role. Wouldn't you say, like, if I said James Bond, you probably would think of Sean most Connery. Most hated altogether now, one, two, three, Pierce, Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan. Except for Goldeneye on the N64. <laughs> yes, he crushed that cover. That's all he did. <laughs> anyway, I go to The Rock here, and here's why. Uh, and Harrison Ford's awesome. I I mean, it, uh, Glenn Close, not so much. I didn't love her, but I also think the whole writing, the weakest part of Air Force One was the writing of the congressional chair people trying to somehow, they were like half-assing their way through navigating, implementing the 25th Amendment. Like, uh, that was not Wait, great. Wait, if we sign this, you're in charge. No, you're in charge. No, I don't know. <laughs> hey, Somebody a, get me yeah, the Constitution. <laughs> that was a weird implementation of like governmental procedure for no reason, but I feel if you can get two more of the cabinet members to sign this yes. document, it's like, eh, no one gives a shit. It All was right. so inside baseball, especially today, the average American who doesn't know basic policy and doesn't know the yeah. basic configuration of our triune government. I but, actually kind of enjoyed, like, is this, are these actually conversations they'd have? Like, wait, if the president mm -hmm. is, wait, if he's dead, it's this, but if he's not, like, you you know, they all know these things and they've read the books and they're yeah. you know informed, but like, like when the rubber meets the mm -hmm. road, like, you gotta make decisions. You gotta like, actually, oh shit, who's in charge right now? Yes. Like, it, it was, I, I thought it was cool. Yeah, you're right. I just, I just don't think Close was given a lot. I don't think she necessarily was bad. I just don't think they gave her a lot, you know, well said. to yeah. work with here. Agreed. But Harrison Ford's awesome. But to me, what wins it is the dynamic between Cage and Connery. Their partnership, they're almost... Oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. It is, it's, it, and, it, and the, one of the reasons that beckons back to Die Hard so hard is the relationship between, um, between Bruce Willis. Why am I blanking? Argyle? Argyle. No, not Argyle. The other police officer. The police oh, officer. Oh, yeah. Um, Your boy. Yeah. Oh, Winslow. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? That guy. The chubby cop. We'll look it up in post, but yeah. Between Willis, between Willis and Bruce Willis, or damn it, between Bruce Willis and the other police officer, I love the back and forth. But they were hilarious. They're two world class actors. Sean Connery, a huge icon, and I just thought it, it just worked, and I loved it. So I go Rock. What do you think, Filskis? I also go the Rock mainly because Sean Connery and Nick Cage just brought the heat. Let's not say Harrison Ford wasn't great, but there was something. There, the Rock had a vibe when it came to every member of that cast and I feel like everybody just brought they just showed themselves in in like their most fun light in that movie and yeah Sean Connery and Nick Cage were fantastic hard I'm to I'm gonna beat. say die hard because of Reginald Bell Johnson Reginald Bell Johnson <laughs> yeah splice that in later Reggie V my dude no I agree The Rock is you know Air Force One is in my opinion I'll just spoiler alert I think it's a better movie that said Rock 
had the better cast. The top bill cast is spot on. Yeah, it's so good. It's hard to imagine two other actors inter- interacting that way. The way their their chemistry was so standalone. Right. And there wasn't really chemistry happening because they were all kind of secluded on a plane in Air Force One. So there wasn't a lot of like, they weren't acting together. They were acting separately. So you lost a little bit of the magic that you had with The Rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the constant banter and the yeah. insults. Yep. All right. Best morning, Cad. I missed that flipping tablet, man. All right. Foldable. Here's the list of everybody else. <laughs> Wendy Crewson, Liesl Matthews, Paul Guilfoyle, Xander Berkeley, William H. Macy, Stock, uh, Dean Stockwell. That's Air Force One, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm scrolling to see if there's anybody of note. Philip Baker. <laughs> Philip Baker. Oh, Bookman. <laughs> wow. He was way down there. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Rock. John Spencer. I love John Spencer, by the way, from The Wing, The West Wing. David Morse. He's really good, too. Love him. William Forsyth. Michael Bean. John C. McGinley. Again Ooh. with him. How many times uh, has he been on this damn podcast? A lot. I'm and scrolling. we didn't like know what he meant to. Point but. break. Platoon. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. He's like the guy you slot in when you want a real Philip serious Baker Hall. Philip Baker yeah. Hall. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'll I slot guess one I'll... in for you. Tony Todd, Tony Candyman. Todd. One of the most prestigious horror roles ever. Oh, Tony, Tony Todd. Todd. That's how good this cast is. Like, oh, we got Candyman From too. Candyman. Wow. And The Crow. Yeah, and The Crow. Oh, he's awesome in The Crow. Wow. Whoever casting directed The Rock was just like on cocaine that day or just really caffeinated, but really on her game. Yeah. Once you kick us game. off. What's that? Once you kick us off. Uh, I'll go The Rock again. I'm I mean, I, uh, this is tough because I prefer Air Force One, but I think just the the actors and the characters in The Rock were more interesting. You got all the, you know, the Russian or no, who, what even were they? Were like U.S. mercenaries? Oh, they were. Oh, they were. Yeah, ex marines. Yeah, yeah, disgruntled military men. Like I mm-hmm. thought they were all great. I thought that just the whole everybody involved, I thought was really really good. Filskis, I already know, but I also have to go to The Rock here. <laughs> it was just that the supporting cast in that movie stood out in a lot of ways, not just as strongly, but in their own really powerful way. I, I just thought the the supporting cast in The Rock was more memorable, so I'm going to go that direction. No. Yeah, I go Rock too, and and uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one of the standouts on the uh, other of the supporting cast for Air Force One was William H. Macy, but he's not putting on the full Macy here. He's pretty undertone, doesn't have a lot to do. I also just don't think the Air Force One uh, supporting cast was given a ton here. And it's, I actually, It's true. Yeah. I think Gary Oldman steals the show because of Harrison Ford, the way he was written, even though he's the star, he's a relatively quiet, timid, I even have a category about this, but he's pretty chill for being the, you know, the guy carrying the gun and being the the major protagonist. Um, so I think Gary Oldman actually stole the show from that level. But I think when you look at it that way, you just, you don't get a lot from that supporting cast. It's just not well written. Whereas I think The Rock, I always go back to Tony Todd, but Tony Todd is awesome in this. I love Michael Bean. Like they just, they all played their part. They were well written. They played into it really well. So it's, I think this is easy layup for The Rock. Two to zero. And we have our first bro oh, category. I'm so stoked. Yes. Ready for these bro categories. All right. We got a sexy voice category. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Harrison Ford barely spoke above a whisper in this movie. <laughs> True. Very few times. So would you take Sean Connery's sexy voice that's iconic or Harrison Ford's sexy barely above a whisper voice? Oh, Harrison Ford. Yeah. This is not close. 
Yeah. You like Sean the- Connery. It's fun and it's it's iconic because it's so unique, but it's not sexy. The Sean Connery mentioned uh, it's not what your mother said last night. <laughs> you should get down on your knees and suck. Anyway. Yeah, Harrison Ford, no question. Really? It's not close. Oh my god, Phil. I'll have to go here as well with Harrison Ford. I think his voice mm-hmm. is far more sexier than mine. Now, listen, when we're t- we're we're talking about Goldfinger, you know, ah, back with the James <laughs> with James Bond, like, you know, the magic penis Sean Connery back then that's one thing but we're we're talking about old man like <laughs> escape from a prison gross Sean Connery no yeah. get out of here this is this is where this came from for me was it was really funny Harrison Ford like like the Gary Oldman's character would be like yelling and being really intense and Harrison Ford would respond like I really gotta let go of my family you know he's like take over I'm going and get like, off my plane Mr. President what would you like to do about this he's like well he's such a <laughs> he just yeah. never a dull roar that being said it doesn't matter for at this point, but I did love, I just love Sean Connery's accent. And based on what I hear, he actually does exaggerate it. That's what I've been told. That's what I've read is that Sean Connery. Yeah. Sean Connery does. He actually does exaggerate his accent a little bit. I don't know if that's true, but that's what some people have said. If you can't exaggerate. Well, I want, especially at this point in his career, he had already been a punching bag at this Mm -hmm. point, especially at this point in his career. So sexy voice. That's our first sexy voice award. And that goes to Mr. Harrison Ford. Was this kind of, of the uh, climax, or not the climax? Was this kind of like the end cap of his? What did he do after this? I think in my head, it's James Bond, and then he did the Indiana Jones. Was kind of his like late career comeback, mm-hmm. and then they capped it off with this. What I think I, the next film of note was Finding Forrester. Mm, I okay. believe. Let me get the iPad. Yeah, iPad. Here's one we'll all remember, which I actually never saw: A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. LXG, as it was uh, marketed. <laughs> Another poor marketing. Yeah, yeah. Don't let the commoner Finding Forrester, Highlander, right? Entrapment was Highlander '84 though. He was in a movie called The First Night. Yes, remember I that remember one? that movie. That was a good movie. He's a great movie. Ar- he made King Arthur. Uh, what did you ask, Kyle? Highlander, right? Highlander one was he in that? Uh, yep, Highlander movies. Oh, The Hunt for Red October. Yes. Oh no, shit. Okay, we we one. left some shit off. It's just Robin Hood. Okay, yeah, he was. When you have a career that starts in the late '40s and <laughs> it's kind of hard well, to and remember. He did all like the 49 James Bond movies. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. Jesus, dear God. Forget I said anything. Cut that out. I'm an idiot. Yeah, that's all right. That's awesome. No, I'm glad we went on that adventure. It is two to one, The Rock. Here we go. Most absurd premise. We got a couple of absurd premises. Now, I know one takes itself more seriously, Air Force One, but the idea of anybody sneaking onto our president's plane to do what they did is absurd to me. Drew, what do you think? Most absurd premise. This is not close. The most absurd one by far is The Rock. How so? The Air Force One thing is believable because because of the motive. Like, what what better way to terrify a nation? than to take over, especially this in a post 9-11 world. And this happened before 9-11. So maybe it was crazy then, but now not crazy, which actually mm. it was kind of prophetic. Like this was sort of like a, this would be like the worst thing ever for a nation who actually likes their president. I don't know that we've liked our president in a very long time. So that's <laughs> maybe I that. collectively. Yeah. You reminded me, I hate it. I hate that I missed this earlier, but I wrote down in my notes, five minutes in Harris, for, Harrison Ford's already the best president that we've ever had in my, in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, in, in our lifetime for sure. <laughs> that beginning speech, I'm like, Dude, where has I, he I'd been? I have voted his ass in <laughs> instantly. Yeah. Hollywood does cast good presidents. Yeah. Somehow yeah, the to best me, yeah. Is. But 
yeah, the plot of The Rock is insane. Mm. Which, by the way, were these books first? No. no they they were just completely original. The ideas. Rock reeks of something Michael Bay came up with, period. Yeah. Like, he which is the whole thing about him, like, knowing the timing of the roles through the furnace into the... I was so in. I was like, this is the most insane thing ever. Let's, and he did it, like, 40 years ago, but he remembers, like, this is the... Train. Again, I, it's fun and I'm in, but it's completely insane. Dude, I can still, I mean, for what it's worth, I could still probably play through Metal Gear Solid in an hour and 45 minutes blindfolded. Bullshit. So it's been 20-something years. Yeah. But you said... Don't think that's true. Oh, by the way, it. on the Bay thing, he didn't want to do this movie because the first version they sent him, he thought was really underdeveloped and he just didn't think. And he was coming off of the Bad Boy series oh, where wow. he was where he got a lot of notoriety and he just, he thought it was below him. So anyway, that was a funny factoid, but... Man, <laughs> most, most absurd is... Yeah, it's got to be The Rock. Mostly because, I mean, I feel like the stretch is really there in The Rock. Like, you've got these dudes who break into a facility, steal this fucking nerve gas or whatever that they're going to shoot at San Francisco from Alcatraz. If if restitution isn't made to these, like, black ops people. I mean, I guess I could see that, but I also mm. don't... I, I think the only example of a terrorist attack by a former military individual, I mean, it's it's uh, Oklahoma City is the only one I can think McVeigh of. McVeigh was former military? Yeah. McVeigh! <coughs> but I think McVeigh was former military. But yeah, I mean, mm. the idea of, like, that level of military personnel turning against the United States is pretty insane. But I, I could also buy his his uh, premise for doing it. Like, you know, there are these people that get sent on these missions and they, you know, their families are never made whole and they're, they're never going to see their, you know, husband or father again or whatever. That's some dark shit. Like, I actually, like, sympathized. The thing that I thought was brilliant about The Rock was that I could sympathize with the plot of the antagonist. I get it. Like, because that's real the US shit. does do that shit. <laughs> that's real shit. But yeah, I mean, the plot of taking over a prison to shoot rockets at San Francisco is pretty insane versus somebody taking over Air Force One. Improbable, but not impossible. McVeigh was a Gulf War veteran. I oh, just, just confirmed. Wow. Good, uh, good pull there. Right out skis. of my ass. Yeah, it's tough because I, even though it's the very small plot twist that makes Air Force One what it is, it's, it's really difficult for me to figure out a circumstance where they let terrorists onto a plane by accident. But also, who gets work done on a plane? You know, like the air, the air pressure on my ears. I'm like, we got people up there making policy on an airplane. To me, that's the most absurd part. But I do go the rock. To me, the most absurd thing was if if Ed Harris's character, his intentions the whole time was just to fake people out just to get the money. Man, he went far. Like I think you get the rockets, you're good. Like I could imagine just firing explosive rockets at San Francisco, be like, that's a bad deal. But no, we're gonna put one of the most toxic poisons on the planet inside of them. We're gonna take over Alcatraz. I mean, he went really up and above. And so yeah. it's like, all right, yeah, it's insane. The X Poison gas, man. Yeah, so it is three to one. We got a few categories left here. Both fantastic films. I don't know how it's going to go. Here's an interesting one. General Francis X. Hummel, uh, Ed Harris. Loved it. Ivan... I need pronunciation help here. Korshunov, Korshunov, K-O-R-S-H-U-N-O-V. Gary Oldman's character. Right. Our major antagonist here versus each other. <laughs> I mean, they're both a flex. One dude broke onto Air Force One, just like no problem. And the other trapped like 85 people into jail cells in a prison that hasn't been opened in like 50 years. Uh, they're both, this should be a bigger flex category. Ooh. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Oldman. Mm -hmm. Ivan. Because, I mean, to break onto 
Air Force One. It's one of the most, I mean, I, it's one thing to do a thing on an island that hasn't been opened. It's not really that important. It's like, you know, it's just kind of like, well, look at cute little Alcatraz. It used to be a thing a long time ago. Air Force One is really important, like right now. So to take on a team, just w to walk onto the one of the most secure things on the planet and take it over, that's a flex. That is a flex. So I'll go, I'll go Air Force One on this one. I love that response. Phil. Hang on, I'm looking something up real quick because I don't want to be wrong. What do you think, Kyle? What do I think? This is tough. I, I do go Air Force One for the same reasons as you. I mean, even though it's absurd, very sneaky, incredible feat to get onto that plane. The only weakness I haven't had, this is all people that fight on behalf of dictatorships, but he gets lost in the anthem. When he starts hearing the, the anthem of his homeland on the phone, he, start, he gets that glaze that... Mm. Little bit of a weakness. Little, little, little cheesy, bit. Dictatorship. Little People defending the dictatorship always get lost in the anthem. That's a good point. And when he gets all weird with the president's daughter about what he would do for his country, like, yeah. who cares? This is, you're weird. Go brush your teeth. You got to leave that shit at home. But I'm talking, if these two two guys are actually, in my mind, if they're actually going to fight each other, Hummel gave up really easily. Like, once the once the ghost was out, you know, once the skeletons were out of the closet, like, all right, we're, we can't do this anymore. His dudes turned on him and they took him over. Tony Todd, all those guys are like, hey, fuck you, we're 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 still doing this. He he went from being the most badass Vietnam such a good point guy of all time because yep. th think about it, they're worshiping him like this guy's a fucking hero, you know, the whole movie. And then all of a sudden, when it's over, he's just like, all right, it's over. And they they took him over and they they betrayed him and he just let it happen and they killed him. Turns out it was only because he represented an ideal that they held. But once he turned on that, they're like, nah, yeah. we got this. Ivan, even though he's a little weak when it comes to anthems, he gets a little weak in the knees with the you know the anthemic shit. At the end of the day, I wouldn't mess with him. I think he would beat Hummel in a oh. in a knife oh, fight. Couldn't yeah. disagree Agreed. more. Dude, what? the guy, dude, he that Russian guy, citizens. he was a bitch. He kept talking about everything. Every rant in that movie was about his fucking feelings about Kazakhstan. Everything was so emotional with him. Brig General Hummel led other devout Marines onto the island of Alcatraz mm -hmm. to take it over and betray the United States, facing treason charges, which are punishable by death. He brought all these dudes onto that thing, getting ready to kill millions of people in San Francisco, and they were all in. And I could see him backing down because he never wanted to do that. He just wanted restitution for those people. But the fact that you can make Brig General in the in the United States Marine Corps means you're a badass. Fuck that motherfucker on that plane. <laughs> but dude, I love it. But swap the great. two. Does Ivan, when his dudes try to betray him, does Ivan let that happen? Does, dude, that does guy's Ivan a give psychopath. Up? I know, there's a difference between each other. There's a difference between a calculated badass and a psychopath. The dude on that plane was a psychopath. But I and, think Hummel did was, a bad calculation. No, he knew what he was doing, but he thought the United States would flinch mm. because they were pointing rockets at, at, at San Francisco and they didn't, um, which good for the U.S. in that movie, not negotiating with terrorists or whatever. But like Gary Oldman's character would just get on these emotional kicks about how he was wronged and and like, your father is a horrible man and all he does is blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, come on. Like no one buys that shit. You're a bitch. Fuck off my plane. <laughs> Francis X Hummel. Ex-wife. I would serve under that motherfucker in a heartbeat. <laughs> I love how passionate you got. Dude, he's hardcore. You can't, you don't become a brig general in the Marines without being a fucking badass. Oh, right. We have two categories left and it's getting tied up in here. It is three to two. Also, can we just be thankful that Dwayne The Rock Johnson had nothing to do with this? Because I am sick of that guy. If there's one person I'm more sick of than Matt Damon, it is The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> 
with his cheat day Instagram post with his pile of sushi and his Hawaii well, bungalow that he lives in. He's going to run for president in 2032. Oh, he, we all know this. Being I mean, in every on. commercial, and I'm pretty sure he's injecting. <laughs> yeah. And he's, Mark what is he words. injecting? What is that stuff called? The oil people put in their muscles and all of that. I am so sick of The Rock. I'm sick of Under Armour commercials, his own tequila. Get off the stage and let somebody, let another steroid guy come up. I was going to say, maybe get off the cocaine, lose the steroids. He's got to be, right? For sure. I don't think he's rocking the you know, well, that is rocking then. Just good old fashioned. He's a pretty big dude, though. He's but huge. 2032. What is that shit words. called? That oil? I mean, oil. That's what. It's that's a, what? all I've ever known it as is oil. No, it hasn't. What's name. oil? What do you know? About? It's the stuff it's where that they inject it in their muscles make to make them make it look really bloated. But it's some really... dudes are addicted to it and they look really awful. I just, if you follow him on Instagram, he's like at the gym at 5 a.m. every morning, like working. Yeah, the until, Iron Jungle. He's shooting until midnight. Like, it's like, there's no way this dude is like. Here's a good question When is it okay to transfer? Transition from coffee for energy to Coke. Like when are you like, you know, I mean, I Never. love I love the taste of coffee, but I'm not getting the bang for my buck. Coke is what's really gonna get me through all this. I guess when you eclipse 10 million a movie, is that when you pass when you get 10 million a movie? That's like, okay, now I need cocaine. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. If I was as loaded as the rock, I'd probably get up at 5 a.m. and be in the gym all day and then go shoot a movie too. Yeah. So. Well, it's easy when you have an entire gym connected to your mansion. You just walk back there. I have a gym in my garage, but it ain't the iron jungle. That dude's got chains, whatever. Screw the rock. He invites other celebrities to work out with him. They seem to do it and enjoy. Don't worry. He'll be running for president in 2032. Mark my words. He's going to run as a rockocrat. He's a rock publican. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be dead by then and you guys can bury parts of my bones throughout the country and we can make my kids do a treasure hunt for them. Wow. Yeah. That got dark. Two more categories. It's three to two. The rock. What was more difficult to watch? Sean Connery singing San Francisco in the shower or the White House Situation Room trying to navigate the 25th Amendment? <laughs> <laughs> Good category. I'll go White House situation situation room navigating the 25th Amendment. Reason being, Sean Connery was fucking with everybody in the shower. <laughs> he he was. was just trying to distract everyone so he could, like, tie shit onto the shower and then escape. Meanwhile, the White House Situation Room clearly had some kind of agenda in mind. And we're like, but there's an amendment if the president is incapacitated or also unresponsive yes. or also just asleep, we can take his powers away and you can become president. Yeah. Mrs. President! You know, and it was just this like, you just see them all like as seals standing on their fucking iceberg, clapping their <laughs> seal hands and being really thrilled at the idea of Glenn Close becoming president. So that was awkward and it was very forced, whereas Sean Connery was just fucking with everybody. Well said. I totally agree. To Phil's point, he was just singing on like he was he was singing badly on purpose it was it was it was hard to watch but he was trying to throw them off to think like nothing's like and then wow that room what a disaster when he was when they called for someone to bring them the constitution that was the most painful moment <laughs> bring somebody get me the constitution it's like do you not you have one job yeah. as a government official and that's to know how our government operates and they're yelling they're fighting over things they're fighting over power. They're yelling to get a copy of the Constitution. It was just, it was hard to watch. Yeah. And they're walking around with Be like... Be sure to wear some flowers in your hair. And they're walking around with the makeshift, what's <laughs> it called? The petition, you know? And it's like, they're reacting the same way to the situation that the average low IQ citizen done when Wendy's changes the recipe 
of their fries. They're like, yeah, which, a petition! Yeah, which they do every, you know, five Dear or seven God. years. So. And this was my big knock on Air Force One. I, I love the movie, but I hate it when movies, it's almost like they write it and they realize that there's so much action because there's so much quiet going on because it's a lot of it is Harrison Ford sneaking around. So there's a lot of periods with no dialogue. So it kind of felt like, well, we have to like explain the story when we can talk. And so it feels like the situation room became a crutch for expressing dialogue. They're like, think about all the shit you learn. Like it's like a two minute dialogue and you're like, they're just loading it up with facts and stuff. It's like playing catch up, you know? And it's like, I feel like that was the crutch for them. Yeah. To- they explained the anatomy of the plane and like well, the history of the, what the villain, like his motivation, like we learn everything in the room. And then they jump straight to the 25th amendment. It's just like, they're like, <laughs> they're like loading us up with, I was like, can you slow down? I would take 10 minutes more in this movie for y'all just to spread this out over the course of Meanwhile, the Meanwhile, Ford's just watching Milk League. <laughs> so I think it was really horrible. I hate to watch. I think that was the worst, you know, the worst written part of Air Force One. So yeah, I, I go, I guess the rock gets the point. It doesn't matter now. It is four to two, but we do have one last category and this came from Drew. Last minute texting this last night. Best 90s cameo. Sleepless in Seattle playing on a TV in the background of Air Force One or the rocket zooming over old Candlestick Park. Ah. And for non-sports fan, that's where the 49ers played until, what is it now, Gap? Stadium. They're actually, uh, no, Levi. Levi Dungaree, the Lee Dungaree Stadium. Stadium. (laughs) Actually, there's another great football cameo in Air Force One. What is it? When he's he's watching the game, the Michigan-Notre Dame game. Yeah. They win 14-13. He's a big Michigan fan. Remember the score got spoiled for him. Because I remember trying to hear what he was saying. 14-13, Mr. President. Nice. Yeah, I loved how relatable that made him feel. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, oh. Fuck with that. Like, I, I, if I were a president in the 90s, I would just be trying to get through the day so I could get home, crack open a beer, and watch the football game that I taped on VHS. I just remember him whispering, going, I don't know, football game. By the time this episode releases, college football will only be like a week and a half away. True. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it's that time of year. I know. An NFL preseason so starting in. tonight. I'm going to go Air Force One here only because this is the first time that a movie we've covered has referenced a movie we've covered. I I felt a, mo- a glimpse of pride in that moment when I was watching. I was like, wow, I'm covering a movie that's covered a movie mm-hmm. that I've covered. I liked it. And Phil, I don't know about you. I'm getting a little weepy right now because I don't know if there's a more Drew category or a more Drew move than him realizing that discovery. <laughs> is there anything more Drew <laughs> than that discovery? Did you guys discovery? catch it? Did you no, but you catch it. No, it was on it the is- screen. His daughter fell asleep. Yeah. Watching little the little kid in Sleepers in Seattle on the Empire State Building. And I checked. I was like, wait. And I had to do the quick math in my head. I'm like, yeah, this came out in 93. So this would be on cable in 1995 when they're filming this. So that it all checked out. It made me happy. But the fact that you uncovered it is so Drew. The fact that you connected that we covered that on that. Like, <laughs> that is amazing. And it's a thing of beauty, honestly. I'm tearing up a little bit. Air Force One. That's what Drew goes with. Phil Skis. Agreed. I mean, for the same reasons. Movie covering a movie that we'd covered. I mean, how can you vote against that? I know. We might be slightly biased, but I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. I did love that. I did love for the sake of the conversation, the rock, just the rocket flying over Candlestick Park. It's 2000. You know, it's that was like a, a, the 49ers owned the 80s and 90s. That was a, that's a, like a a landmark in that area. So it's like the rockets flying over a cultural landmark to hit another cultural landmark. And I I thought it was cool. Yeah. And one thing we haven't covered is that it was, I love that, you know, not a lot of movies get made in San Francisco. There's a 
few, but it doesn't like feature a lot. This was a very San Francisco movie. He's singing the song, Candlestick Park. Also, this was a rando I didn't get to talk about, but you know the action scene where he's chasing and he's like, you destroyed your Lamborghini? Say, yeah. They, it was so difficult to secure any amount of the city of San Francisco to film. They only got two city blocks to film that. So a lot of that is them like having to reset. And they said, Michael Bay said there were thousands of film crew members packed into two blocks, but that's all they would give them because they didn't have time because the amount of time it took to get the permits for just those two blocks took so long. So all those chases, they're basically like having to redo streets, like streets are being used twice because they didn't yeah. have they didn't have any land. But anyway, I love how much of a San Francisco film it is. Um, although the reason I go Air Force One, this is a this is very petty. Fuck the 49ers. All right. I'm a cowboy. Oh! I'm nice. a Cowboys fan. You are too, Drew. Yes. You should be ashamed. There are so many of some of the most epic plays. <laughs> I should be ashamed. Some of the most epic plays. And every time you turn on the NFL history and NFL film, it's Dwight Clark catching that pass in the back. Joe Montana. It's just, I feel like every great highlight for a great Hall of Fame player is against the Cowboys. By the way, I totally agree 100% with everything you're saying. That play you just described, Dwight Clark, it's called the catch, caught in the back of the end zone, NFC Championship, 1984, I think? I'm not sure which year. Tom Brady, four-year-old boy, was in the stands at that game. Four-year-old Grew boy? up idolizing John, Joe Montana. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Cool rando, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's incredible. <sighs> Yeah, grew up in the Bay Area. That's why everybody thought he might go back to San Francisco when he unretired to, that would have been, know, to win a ring for his, yeah, but. That would have been pretty cool. Maybe he still will. Who knows? Yeah. What a fun episode. Four to three. Uh, it was really close. This doesn't, this isn't negative about Air Force One. These are two fantastic films. Phil, thank you for picking this, man. I, I mean, I, I love doing this Anytime. podcast, but this was fun. Can you do it again next week? Yeah. Yeah. Another, that'd be great. Anyway, let's get out of this Alcatraz prison. I'm Kyle. I am not the president. I am Drew. I'm also not the president. I'm Phil. You're a super freak is what you are. Super freak!